Well, we're, um, we're back in Ezekiel this morning. Can I get a cheer? No, it's good. So we're, um, uh, we're Ezekiel chapter 18 this morning, which is on page 845 of the Chapel Bibles, 845. And uh, I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's not too long, and I thought it would be good to um, read the whole thing because it uh, kind of tells a story. Uh, so Ezekiel chapter 18 from the first verse, page 845 in the Chapel Bibles. Uh, the word of the Lord came to me. What do you people mean by quoting this proverb about the land of Israel? The fathers eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, you will no longer quote this proverb in Israel. For every living soul belongs to me. The father as well as the son, both alike belong to me. The soul who sins is the one who will die. Suppose there is a righteous man who does what is just and right. He does not eat at the mountain shrines or look to the idols of the house of Israel. He does not defile his neighbour's wife or lie with a woman during her period. He does not oppress anyone, but returns what he took in pledge for a loan. He does not commit robbery, but gives his food to the hungry and provides clothing for the naked. He does not lend at usury or take excessive interest. He withholds his hand from doing wrong and judges fairly between man and man. He follows my decrees and faithfully keeps my laws. That man is righteous. He will surely live, declares the sovereign Lord. Suppose he has a violent son who sheds blood or does any of these other things, though the father has done none of them. He eats at the mountain shrines, defiles his neighbour's wife, oppresses the poor and needy, commits robbery, does not return what he took in pledge. He looks to the idols. He does detestable things. He lends at usury and takes excessive interest. Will such a man live? He will not. Because he has done all these detestable things, he will surely be put to death and his blood will be on his own head. But suppose this son has a son who sees all the sins his father commits. And though he sees them, he does not do such things. He doesn't eat at the mountain shrines or look to the idols of the house of Israel. He doesn't defile his neighbour's wife. He does not oppress anyone or acquire a pledge for a loan. He doesn't commit robbery, but gives his food to the hungry and provides clothing for the naked. He withholds his hand from sin and takes no usury or excessive interest. He keeps my laws and follows my decrees. He will not die for his father's sin. He will surely live. But his father will die for his own sin because he practiced extortion, robbed his brother and did what was wrong among the people. Yet you ask, why does the son not share the guilt of his father? Since the son has done what is just and right and has been careful to keep all my decrees, he will surely live. The soul who sins is the one who will die. The son will not share the guilt of the father, nor will the father share the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous man will be credited to him and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against him. But if a wicked man turns away from all the sins he has committed and keeps all my decrees and does what is just and right, he will live. He will not die. None of the offences he has committed will be remembered against him. Because of the righteous things he has done, he will live. Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the sovereign Lord? 
Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? But if a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits sin and does the same detestable things the wicked man does, will he live? None of the righteous things he has done will be remembered because of the unfaithfulness he is guilty of and because of the sins he has committed, he will die. Yet you say the way of the Lord is not just. Hear, O house of Israel, is my way unjust? Is it not your ways that are unjust? If a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits sin, he will die for it. Because of the sin he has committed, he will die. But if a wicked man turns away from the wickedness he has committed and does what is just and right, he will save his life. Because he considers all the offences he has committed and turns away from them, he will surely live. He will not die. Yet the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is not just. Are my ways unjust, O house of Israel? Is it not your ways that are unjust? Therefore, O house of Israel, I will judge you. Each one according to his ways, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent, turn away from all your offences, then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourselves of all the offences you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. A word of prayer before we explore these verses. Father, thank you for your, your word to us this morning. Thank you that your word is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, dividing even the joints and marrow. Father, may our hearts and minds be open and attentive to your voice this morning, and may we hear your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, In the the 1940s, uh, someone began to think that there might be a link between uh, smoking tobacco and uh, getting cancer. And so they were given permission to do some research And they were given permission to do the research on the basis that no link would be found. And uh, a link was found between uh, smoking tobacco and uh, and cancer. And uh, then further research was taken. And uh, by the 1950s, it was fairly evident that uh, there was a link between smoking tobacco and contracting all sorts of different cancers. Uh, But nothing changed in the fact that people carried on smoking. Uh, By 1964, the US Surgeon General uh, declared that there was an unequivocal link between smoking tobacco and contracting cancer. It was was categorically proven that if you smoked, you would contract all sorts of horrible diseases and probably uh, shorten your life. Uh, In the years after 1964 the uh, average American's consumption of tobacco increased. Despite the fact that the link had been categorically proven, and in the mid-1960s, the average American was smoking 4,500 cigarettes a year. Uh, that's an average of 12 a day, which was a slight increase on how many they'd been smoking before the US Surgeon General declared that if you smoke, it will probably kill you or shorten your life. In 1973... Pregnant women were still being uh, advised of the, the, uh, the advantages of smoking during pregnancy uh, 
uh, because it calmed stress. So despite the fact a link had been, uh, had been proven, people were still being told it's a good thing to do. Uh, these days, you know, we absolutely know that if you smoke, it will have all sorts of consequences for the way that you live. If you, if you buy a packet of cigarettes these days, and they're hard to spot because they're all hidden behind screens, but they've, you know, they've, got, they've got pictures on of all the horrible things that smoking this thing will do to your internal organs, and yet still, still we smoke. My father died from lung cancer. He was a heavy smoker all his life died from lung cancer. When I was a teenager at school, I started smoking. It's just bonkers, isn't it? It's like all the warnings are there, and yet still, you know, still we do it. And so, you know, we're filled, there are warnings all over the place, and the, the warnings are there not because, you know, the world's full of killjoys and spoil sports. The warnings are all there because we actually want people to live. It's like, you know, don't mess around with electricity because it will kill you. You, know, you don't drink poison because it will kill you. You know, warnings are given by and large because we want people to live. We don't want people to die. And as we've seen in Ezekiel, you know, Ezekiel gives so many warnings. It's just warning after warning after warning to the people of God to say, look, if you carry on in the way that you are, uh, it's not going to go well. If you carry on the way that you are going, you are going to end up being destroyed and it's not because god is some divine spoil sport he wants to restrict their freedom it's because god wants them to live did you notice as we went through the reading uh, these two lovely verses that take us right to the heart of the character of god's desire for us as human beings verse 23 do i take any pleasure in the death of the wicked rather am i not pleased when they turn from their ways and live you know, God doesn't take any pleasure in the death of the wicked. It's not what he wants. The last verse, verse 32. I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. That's his, his heart and his longing is that we should all live. Uh, remember, uh, Jesus speaking in John's gospel, John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and life in all its fullness. That's what Jesus is all about. That's what God is all about. He wants us to live life and life in all its fullness. And so he warns us about the things that will take that away from us. I've just, as I, you know, when I prayed a bit earlier, I've just really struck this week about how that in our society, that's just been flipped on its head. I've, you know, spoken to a number of people this week who and I've you know I, I meet people in my own life who have this impression that to believe in God will be life limiting and freedom restricting that to believe in God is to deny yourself the life that you're entitled to and yet Jesus said I've come to bring life and life in all its fullness and it's the thief who steals kills and destroys and in, in our culture in our society We've been told the lie that actually it's God who steals, kills and destroys. And almost to have a faith in God in our current culture is seen as almost immoral. Incredible how in just you know, a couple of generations, truth has been flipped on its head. Remember Jesus in, um, uh, in Luke's gospel, the parable of the lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven. Over one sinner who repents, over 99 righteous persons 
who do not need to repent. The parable of the lost coin. I tell you, there is more rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The parable of the father and his two sons. We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. God wants us to live and he wants us to live the very best lives that we can. And that's why he gives us these warnings. Because if we ignore them, we will die. That's the reality. He wants us to live. He longs for us to live. But if we don't turn and repent, we will die. That's the reality. The people of Israel, they have this proverb, the fathers eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. What does that mean? The fathers eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. The proverb basically means, uh, well, it's not my fault. It's not my fault I'm in this mess. It was, the, it was the previous generation. They messed up and now we're living in a mess. But it's nothing to do with us. It's their responsibility. So I can, I can absolve myself of responsibility for what's, what's happening because it's not my fault. You know, the fathers ate sour grapes and now my teeth are set on edge. Nothing to do with me. And the message of Ezekiel in this chapter is... Yes, it is absolutely to do with you. It is absolutely to do with how you are living and how you're responding and how you're responding to the warnings that God is giving you. And if you don't turn, then you must bear the consequences of that. Verse four, every living soul belongs to me, the father as well as the son. Every living soul belongs to me. Each and every one of us has a soul that we were given by God. Do you remember the occasion where um, Jesus is, is uh, people are trying to tra- uh, get Jesus into a trap over whether or not people should pay taxes to Caesar or not? Uh, the Pharisees come up and they've got a coin and they say, well, you know, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? They're hoping to trip Jesus up and get him into trouble. And do you remember what Jesus says? He says, well, whose inscription is on the coin? And they say, well, it's Caesar's. And he says, OK, then we'll give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's? And it's all about the image. You see, the coin bears the image of Caesar, which means in a very real way, the coin belongs to Caesar and it should be given back to him. And Jesus is saying, in effect, well, well, whose image do you bear as a human being? Well, as a human being, you bear the image of God. And so in a very real way, you're, you belong to God. Your soul belongs to God. We are created in his Image. I remember what Jesus says in uh, Matthew's gospel. Uh, he says uh, about the soul. He says, uh, he's sort of talking about uh, the opposition that his followers will face and uh, how they'll find themselves on trial and put to death because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And he says in Matthew 10, verse 26, don't be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So it's a mistake to think that, uh, well, my life is my own, my soul is my own, and I can do what I like. I can live any way my li- I like. I can believe in anything I like. I can do You know, I'm free to do what I want. It's a lie. 
Our souls belong to God and he cares passionately about our souls. And in our natural state, without Christ, our souls are destined to die. Verse 4, the end of verse 4. The soul who sins is the one who will die. We are each responsible for, you know, for our lives. And then Ezekiel tells this, you know, this lovely sort of parable of the, you know, three generations. You know, the grandfather is a righteous man. He obeys God. He will live. His son is a violent man, rejects God's ways, goes his own way. He will die. His son, the grandson, sees what his father has done and he turns back. He turns away from all of those things and he lives as his grandfather has done. He will live. The point that Ezekiel is making and the point that Jesus makes in John's gospel when he's involved in a similar situation is he says, we are each responsible for our own lives. We're not saved because our parents were Christians. We're not condemned because our parents weren't Christians. We're each responsible for our our own lives and for our own decisions. Verse 20, Ezekiel says this, the soul who sins is the one who will die. And then over the page in verse uh, Uh, 21 he says if a wicked man turns away from all the sins he has committed and keeps all my decrees and does what is just and right he will surely live he will not die just think about that for a moment the soul who sins is the one who will die so we take responsibility for our own lives we have to take responsibility for our own sin but there is a way out Verse 21, and this is the way out. If a wicked person turns away from all the sins they have committed and keeps all my decrees and does what is just and right, uh, they will surely live. They will not die. So there's a way out. But do you see the problem? Do you see the problem? Do you remember um, a few years ago, um, I feel like it was not very long ago, but I think it's probably about four years ago, uh, we, did, uh, we did a sermon series on Hebrews and uh, preached through Hebrews. And uh, at the, pretty much the beginning of, of every sermon that we did as we went through, through Hebrews, I said, the only thing you need to know from the book of Hebrews is that the message of Hebrews is basically this. The law points out the problem. It cannot solve the problem. That's what the law does. All the law does is point out the problem. It doesn't solve the problem. So the law says, don't steal. Does the law help you not steal? No, just makes you feel guilty when you do. That's the purpose of the law. It just it shows up what you're doing wrong. But it can't solve the problem. And here's the problem. Uh, the soul who sins is the one who will die. Well, what does... Um, What does Paul Paul say in in Romans? He says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, the, the, The solution is to keep all God's decrees and do what is just and right. It's just a shame that word all is there. If it was some then, you know, we'd be all right, wouldn't we? If it said, you know, if a wicked person turns away from some of the sins he's committed and keeps some of my decrees and does a bit of what is just and right, he will surely live. That would be a bit easier, wouldn't it? Because then we, you know, then we'd be all right, wouldn't we? But the problem is we all sin. We all sin. And none of us 
Keep all of God's decrees. Now there's a big problem. Because the message of Ezekiel is, is it's righteousness that you need, but actually you're incapable of being righteous. Uh, Paul again in, uh, in Romans chapter 5, verses... Uh, so I've got so many tags, we'll get there in the end. Oh, John, here we go. <laughs> Last one, there we go. So let me just see how Paul describes us. It's in the context of very, very good news, but just clock how we are described in Romans chapter 5 from verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Did you clock those three three words that describe us? Kind of in our natural state. Paul says we were ungodly. We were sinners. We were God's enemies. Ungodly sinners, God's enemies. That's our state. And the problem is that in order to be, in order to be righteous, in order to be in relationship with God, we can't be like that. We can't be ungodly. We can't be sinners. We can't be God's enemies if we're to be brought into a righteous relationship with God and we can't do it and that's the you know the problem of the old testament is that time after time after time you know God says to his people look you need to live you need to live in this way you need to live like and they just can't do it they just can't do it and over and over again they you know they get themselves into a mess they get overrun by the enemies they say lord we're so sorry we'll you know we'll we'll pull our socks up we'll try again we'll try really really hard and then they blow it again and they mess up again and it's just this kind of roller coaster Because the Old Testament is leading us to the New Testament. It's leading us to Jesus. You know, Ezekiel is saying, look, look, you need to to be kind of conformed to God's righteousness. And in order to do that, you need to obey his will. You need to obey his laws. You need to obey his decrees. And the problem is they just can't do it. They just can't do it. They're not equipped to do it. So how, how do we live? How do we live? It kind of sets up a problem that we, you know, that we can't solve. Well, what we, what, we need, what we need is someone who can live this life. Look at that lovely description in um, Ezekiel 18, verses 5. Wouldn't you love this person to be your next-door neighbour? Wouldn't you love this person to live next door to you? A righteous person who does what is just and right, uh, doesn't eat at the mountain shrines or look to the idols of the house of Israel, doesn't defile his neighbour's wife or lie with a woman during a period, doesn't oppress anyone, returns what he took in pledge for a loan. You know, those people who, you know, who borrow things and then you never get them back. Uh, doesn't commit robbery, gives food to the hungry, clothing for the naked, doesn't lend at usury or take excessive interest, withholds their hand from doing wrong, judges fairly. Follow, you know, you want that person to be your next door neighbour, don't you? That's, that's the kind of the person you want to have living next to you. And, uh, and that's kind of a picture of righteousness. So, so it, it matters how we live. It matters how we live for God. And the reality is that we can't live in that way well enough 
in order to enjoy the righteousness of God. We just can't do it. So what we need is someone who could live like that. Someone who could live that life on our behalf. Someone who could kind of solve that unsolvable problem because we have to take responsibility for our sin and we all sin. We've all fallen short of God's glory. We've all fallen short of God's standards. We all fall short of our own standards, let alone God's. We disappoint ourselves. Never mind God. What we need is someone who can step into our shoes. And that's Jesus. That's why Jesus came. Remember John the Baptist's objection to Jesus being baptised in Matthew chapter 3. Jesus came from Galilee, verse 13. Uh, Matthew 3. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptised by John. John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptised by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfil all righteousness. There's that word again, righteousness. Why Why does Jesus, the perfect son of God, have to accept a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins in order to fulfil all righteousness? How does that make sense? Jesus is the righteous son of God and yet is being baptised for the repentance, you know, repentance and forgiveness of sins. What is Jesus doing? Well, Jesus is fully human. He is the divine son of God who is fully human, who, who lives the first perfect human life since Adam before the fall. Jesus is, is our champion. He's our representative. You think of David and Goliath. What's going on with David and Goliath? You've got these two great armies, of the armies of Israel and the army of the Philistines and uh, the way sometimes a battle would be saved rather than you know, having a big mashup and loads of people getting killed. You just send out your champion and the champions would fight. And uh, whichever champion won, that would declare, you know, that would be the victory. Jesus comes as our champion. He comes on our side. He lives as a fully human being. But he lives the fully human life perfectly. Hebrews reminds us that Jesus was tempted just as we are and yet was without sin. He lives the fully human life, tempted in every way that we are and yet was without sin. And that's why when Jesus went to the cross and Jesus died, death couldn't hold him. You know, the message of Ezekiel is the soul who sins is the one who will die. Which is why without Christ, we will all die. Not just this life, but for eternity. Because the soul who sins is the one who will die. Well, Jesus is our champion He dies, but he never sinned. He was the perfect son of God, which was why death couldn't hold him. And then he rose again and offers to us that new life. But the message is we have to choose that new life. That's the message of Ezekiel. He says, look, you know, whichever situation you're in, you can make a choice to change your situation. He's saying, look, if you're... You know, a, a righteous person can turn away from their righteousness. Will they live? Verse 24, no, they won't. The sinful person can turn from their sinfulness and choose righteousness and then they will live. There's a choice to be made. 
That's why Ezekiel, at the end of the chapter, he just, he urges the people of Israel. He says, look, repent, turn away from all your offences, then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourselves of all the offences you've committed. Get a new, you know, God is he's pleading with them because he loves them so much. He's pleading with them. Get rid of all the offences you've committed. Get a new heart. And when we get further into Ezekiel, we'll discover this new heart that is available to us. Why will you die, O house of Israel? I take no pleasure in the death of anyone. That's God's heart. He takes no pleasure. And then some people say, well, why? Well, then why aren't all saved? Why doesn't, and, and, you know, there are some Christians who would say that or would say, well, actually, actually, we're all going to heaven. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you do. We're all going to be saved. Jesus died on the cross for everybody. So everybody's saved. That's not what scripture says, because we're created for relationship. And relationship is something you have to choose. You can't force someone to love you. You can invite someone to love you. You can, you can woo them. And that, you know, that's what God does throughout scripture. It's what Jesus does. Is he, he woos us with his love, but he doesn't force our hand. But it grieves God. It grieves God when we don't choose him. Why? Because every soul belongs to him. Every soul belongs to God. And it grieves him when he loses each one. Uh, I often read um, uh, John 3.16, but beyond 3.16, because we we often get stuck with uh, with the good news and we forget the responsibility that comes with it. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And often we stop there, but we need to read on. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. There's a choice to be made. We have to make a decision. We have to to turn, repent and live, turn and live. You know, through Ezekiel, God is just saying to his people, look, if you, if you don't turn, these are the consequences. And they don't turn. And they bear the consequences. And God says the same to us. And it's not, it's not unloving. God is warning us. He's saying, look, you need to make a choice. Remember when we finished um, our studies in Luke's gospel last year, uh, and I was saying um, that thing of, you know, when, you, um, you know, when, you're, when you're leaving a, a pet or a child with someone, uh, I think, I, think it was, I got this from Christy, I stole this from Christy, but it's the, um, just want to, to it's, it's all Holy Spirit copyright, it's fine, but I'll just give you a, I'll just give a nod. But it really struck me because it's so important. It's like the last instruction is the one you really want them to remember. It's like the last instruction is the most important one. And uh, at the end of Luke's gospel, uh, this, is what, um, uh, this is what Jesus tells his disciples. It's like his last instruction to them. This is what it is. Uh, uh, Luke 24, 46. This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, verse 47, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So what's the message? 
Repentance and forgiveness of sins. That's the message. Uh, as, I've, as I've said before, we have, uh, we've kind of, um, so much of the church seems to have slid into God loves you, carry on as you are. God loves you, carry on as you are. That's not the message. Yes, of course, the, yes, of course God loves you. It's, it's his character, it's his essence. God can't not love us. It's, it's who he is. But the message is repentance and forgiveness of sins. There has to be a change. There has to be a turning. And if there isn't a turning, then as Ezekiel makes all too clear, we will die. But that's not what God wants. God wants life. He wants us to live life in all its fullness. But the message is we have to choose. We must turn. So I want to just, uh, just have a moment this morning and just to give, a, give an opportunity for us. If we've, if we've not done that or if maybe we've, you know, we've drifted a bit, uh, become a bit half-hearted, we've kind of lost our first love. Just uh, have a moment, an opportunity for us, as in Ezekiel's words, to repent and choose life. Turn and live. Live life to the full. Let's just uh, close our eyes for a moment and uh, 